the $451,000 turned this from a local uh, story to the small town in Colorado to a national news item. You're listening to episode 282, bonus episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. In Fort Collins, Colorado, the community voted earlier this month to change their city charter in order to simplify the process if the city decides to invest in high-quality internet network infrastructure. Voters chose to opt out of restrictive state laws back in 2015. In an attempt to derail the campaign so that they wouldn't have to face the prospect of competition, Comcast and cronies led an expensive local disinformation campaign. Under the guise of a local grassroots group, they blanketed the community with misleading advertisements and literature. According to campaign disclosures, the Comcast front group spent around $451,000 to fight the local initiative. In the end, the initiative passed. We reached out to two people in Fort Collins who were spearheading the campaign to pass Measure 2B. We wanted to hear how they did it. Colin Garfield and Glenn Akins are here to offer their insight into what worked, what they would change, and what they were thinking while pitted against the Goliath ISP. Now here's Christopher with Colin Garfield and Glenn Akins from Fort Collins, Colorado. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance up in Minneapolis. And today I'm speaking with Colin Garfield, uh, campaign lead for Fort Collins Citizens Broadband Committee. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Pleasure to be here. And also Glenn Akins, who's also campaign lead for Fort Collins Citizens Broadband Committee. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. So this is, I think, really exciting. Um, you know, we have this interesting history in Colorado of now well over 100 communities reclaiming local authority from a state that usurped it in 2005. Um, maybe we'll start with, um, before we really get into that too much, though, um, what is Fort Collins like for people who haven't been there? And I'll just take the easy answer, which is that it is insanely beautiful. I, I don't understand how any of you get any work done. Um, <laughs> but, but Colin, let me ask you first to just maybe tell us a little bit about Fort Collins. Yeah, uh, so our city is about 165,000 people, and we're a university town. So Colorado State University is that's this is the home to it. We have a pretty progressive and highly educated city, um, which has been a great benefit to this campaign. And I guess Fort Collins is kind of known for not only its uni- university, but it's also known for its breweries. We have like 20 some breweries, and it's bicycle town, and it's it's this really progressive, cool city that we live in. Right. We actually did a podcast uh, with your mayor previously. Um, we'll have that in the, the notes along with this show for people who might want to go back and, and learn a little bit more about the undergrounding that's been uh, done there. It's it's a remarkable, remarkable place, I think, um, in, in terms of long-term decision-making, uh, which is kind of what we're going to be talking about. And Glenn, I think maybe you could provide a little bit of background on uh, what's happening broadband-wise over the past five years or so in Fort Collins. Initially, Fort Collins um, wanted to be a Google Fiber City, and they they pursued that, but that didn't pan out. So they also participated in the gig.u, which is um, created by Blair Levine, with the uh, who was a former FCC chairman, I believe, or attorney with the FCC. And so they kind of went through that process. And then about two years ago, um, we had our SB 152 opt-out vote. And that was critical to allowing the city to, to move forward and spend money on planning and analyzing and researching a broadband network for the city. 
once we opted out of that, we had about a two-year process um, where we worked with consultants and cities and community people to um, come up with a, with a broadband plan. And ultimately, that that effort went to the ballot box last November for the voters to vote on. Right. Just a quick note. Blair was, I believe, the chief of staff uh, for people who okay. are curious. Um, and uh, But you're right. He started that, that gig.u process, which got a lot of communities thinking about this. Uh, one other note, just a little bit of housekeeping, is sometimes people think, that, that they would also be able to organize a referendum to opt out of their state barriers. And I just wanted to make sure it was clear to everyone that this is unique to Colorado. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, very unique. if you're in North Carolina, no such luck. You've been preempted. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but one of the things that's interesting is you've gone through two referenda now. And in the first one, which was just to opt out, the uh, Comcast didn't really oppose it, I, I think, right? And then in this one, they they did just maybe briefly give us a sense of what you were up against kind of the quick history about that is uh in 2015 when the original opt-out passed we had an 84 percent pass rate which is uh, historic uh very few elections passed at that level and as far as opposition there was no formal citizen opposition or any formal comcast opposition Fortunately, the group that was uh, supporting this was able to do so with a very small amount of money, and there really wasn't much pushback at all. And so, you know, if you fast forward to today, uh, or even a few months ago, um, there was much stronger opposition, and I think we can we can jump more into that in a, in a second. You know, Glenn, tell us a little bit about this uh, the Fort Collins Citizens Broadband Committee. Under Colorado state law, and probably most other state laws, um, the city itself isn't allowed to lobby for or against a ballot measure once it's been placed on the ballot. So the city wasn't able to help us with anything. So Colin and myself and another guy, Tim, as well as some folks at Colorado State University got together and we formed the Citizens Issue Committee um, to advocate for the passage of the, uh, of the ballot issue. And that's how the Fort Collins Citizens Broadband Committee got its start. When you say it, and either one of you could certainly jump in, you got together and started this group. I feel like we could spend a little bit of time in there. Did, did you already know each other? Did you meet through like a website like Meetup, or did you, you know, meet in a coffee shop? How did you all know each other and start organizing? So we all kind of knew each other from the SB 152 process from uh, two two and a half years ago, and then in addition to that, the city had public outreach sessions um, over the past two years. And so a lot of us uh, met through those public outreach sessions that the city had. And uh, this was kind of a natural extension to all those outreach sessions. And Colin, you know, what was your perspective? How did, um, you know, was this just a matter you got together at a bar one night and started talking about it and thought, hey, let's actually do this? Or was there some other method in which you, you know, got it rolling? Uh, it was kind of interesting. So uh, we all joined the Citizen Committee, which is uh, sponsored by the city back in March of 2016. And and uh, we kind of got to know each other a little bit more in that group and kind of understood each other's skill sets and our passion. And then uh, in June of 2016, I formed a uh, public outreach group called Broadband and Beers. And so what that entailed was having monthly events at local breweries and uh, inviting citizens, policymakers, and staff and kind of really publishing this project outside of the city and kind of get people involved more. And so I guess we kind of created our own platform, uh, starting with the committee and then with Broadband and Beers. Then I graduated with the uh, actual ballot committee. So it's kind of a a long-term, like a 16-month 
platform progression, I guess you could say. So it wasn't like an overnight idea, but it just gradually gained more steam and more steam as the months went by. What was the first broadband in beers like? I, you know, in some ways, I think there was a similar group in Longmont, and so this is is not totally unprecedented. But um, how did it how did it come about, and how did you make people aware of it? Uh, so the first event uh, was not successful. I had about twelve people show up, including like four staff members. So. It's a pretty small turnout. I think you're selling yourself short. I think not successful is you <laughs> on a bar stool. <laughs> okay, good good point. It started out with uh, some immediate interest from about 10 or 12 people. And I kind of published this originally on Reddit and Facebook and things like that. So I used that digital platform to, to publish and advertise it. And I also uh, went through the official city channel to invite staff members, city council members, and the mayor. And through the, I think I did like seven or eight of these things. And I believe the mayor showed up to three of them. Council members showed up to three or four of them. We had staff at every one of them. So it gave an opportunity for citizens to not only uh, talk about it amongst themselves, but also to actually ask the mayor and the council and staff about the actual project itself and get a, a direct response from them. Colin, have you organized things like this in the past or is this somewhat new for you? Uh, so this is the first time I've really rolled the dice on uh, advocacy. That's always a fun <laughs> word to say, right? Um, so yeah, it's, this is kind of my first go around. And uh, I kind of had to teach myself public outreach, communications with it, advertising. I, I'd never done it before. Um, my professional background is a GIS cartographer. So I used to make maps for a living. And that's not really related to any of this. So it was my first go around with all of this. And, and Glenn, I'm curious if you have any background in local organizing. Absolutely none whatsoever. There's a little bit of uh, shock on Colin and I's faces where we left one of our meetings and and realized that we were it for the ballot issue. It was uh, us, uh, Tim, and a few other local organizers, and uh, that was it. You know, we were on our own uh, from that point out. And and when did you realize that that you in in some ways weren't just David going up against Goliath. You were David going up against Goliath and like several of his friends and in like a massive cash campaign of of influence behind them. That was when the first uh, campaign finance disclosure, actually the second campaign finance disclosure was filed by the the uh, opposition. Uh, the first one, they just showed like $10,000, $11,000 in income and no spending. But the second finance uh disclosure, which was about two weeks before the election, two and a half weeks, maybe, um, we saw the $200,000 amount there. And at that point, we realized that that this was big. It wasn't quite as big as Longmont's battle back in uh, 2009, 2010, whenever that was. But we realized it was big. The Friday before the elections, when we found out that the $451,000 had been spent against us. And at that point, um, you know, there's a little bit of freaking out, a little bit of panic and a little bit of uh, what we get ourselves into. And uh, how is this going to work out? But, you know, as, as, you know, it turned out well. Right. Well, what was the final vote? Um, 57 to 43. Yeah, that's that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I'm curious, you know, Glenn, I'll, I'll stick with you on this. Um, just it, did you have a sense like a confidence going into it or was this a sense of like, oh, man, like, you know, it's going to be tight. So when, when uh, Kaylee Rogers at Motherboard asked me that question, I thought it was going to be close, like maybe 60 to 40 in favor. And then um, I think the Sunday and Monday before the election, I got a little worried and I started thinking it was going to be 60 to 40 against us. And then I think uh, Tuesday morning, I got a little bit more positive attitude and my prediction was 52 to 48 for us. Um, So I'm happy with the 57 to 43 turnout. 
Uh, but that was kind of my thinking along the time, seeing the money, seeing the reactions, having people on forums second guess how we're running our campaign and stuff. Uh, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of emotional ups and downs there uh, leading into this process. Lots of lots of lost sleep too. <laughs> there's there's one thing. If there's one thing that drives me nuts, it's people who haven't invested of themselves telling other people who are like out there working and sacrificing how to do things. It's I'm sure you got a fair amount of that. It really didn't start until Tuesday morning before the election. I, I think um, there is a, a little bit of blowback on on one of the the forums out there that basically said we should have ran a more negative campaign. We should have. Uh, you know, pointed out Comcast failures at every turn. And and I think that, you know, this being an off-year election, that would have turned off a lot of voters. They would have seen the negativity on the Comcast side. They would have seen the con- the negativity on our side. And instead of going out and voting for us, they probably would have just stayed home. So I'm really glad we stuck with running a positive campaign and talked about what a symmetric uh, fiber optic gigabit network could bring to our community versus just uh, bashing the incumbents. Now, Colin, I think is there were there things that you were involved with aside from the broadband and beers because you know there's a sense of running a positive campaign. I'm guessing you did more than than get together uh, once a month to um, talk. Yeah, so I kind of took the management role from the get go with all of us, and what I mean by that is uh, with Tim and Glenn and uh, other some other gentlemen on the committee, my my goal and my role was to really keep everybody together for months at a time and and kind of manage this group and make sure that everyone's skill sets is, are utilized and that we don't lose anyone along the way. And I also built a website for a committee and I did a bunch of public engagement, speaking engagements, and I had a, a multifaceted role within the group. But primarily early on, it was really just managing the entire thing before we actually got a campaign manager. <laughs> when you're dealing with a, an entity that's spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, I, I assume that the only way that they can do that is by you know, a lot of TV and in radio ads. Uh, I presume that you did neither. Uh, what sort of mass media did you do? Did you have a, like um, glossy mailers or how did you get the word out to people who may not already know about it? With $15,000, you can't do a whole lot. You have to be very, very targeted in what you do. Um, so you're looking for the best bang for your buck. So what we basically did, we, we sent out about 10,000 mailers to a voter database that we had a, a hold of. We did some radio ads. Um, but our, I think our main attack was through Facebook and social media. Uh, we had a very extensive page. We, we spent a lot of money on that. I think it was around $3,000 total on that. And we boosted a lot of posts. We had a hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comments that we responded to at a very in-depth conversation on the Facebook page. And I also took uh, a lot of care kind of developing the Reddit response. So the Reddit Fort Collins group was a big uh, proponent of this. And so I kind of uh, published this for about 14 or 15 months straight to make sure people were aware on that platform as well. So we kind of took small angles. We didn't have any big TV ads, any big uh, radio ads. Um, but we didn't send out multiple mailers to uh, residences like the opposition group. So we, we didn't have a lot of money to work with. So we had to be very careful about how we spent it. I think I think some people received eight mailers uh, from the opposition in their mailboxes over the course of the campaign. Yeah. Did, did the opposition hurt themselves ultimately with uh, a message that just seemed um, belittling? And also, 
you know, they made this wild claim in terms of how much money would be authorized when that actually wasn't in the, the language. I mean, just uh, from um, for people who aren't familiar, uh, this vote technically was to change the city's charter and to authorize a maximum level of debt borrowing. Not that the city was going to borrow that much, but that it had to pick a maximum amount. And so um, that was the amount that the city um, could borrow up to with whatever plan is developed in the coming year or years. One of the things that, that the, the Comcast-funded group did was they claimed that that money was all going to be spent and wasted and wouldn't be available for roads and things like that. How do people react to those claims? The opposition framed it as we could spend $150 million on broadband or we could spend $150 million on roads or schools or public safety. But the truth of the matter is that only one of those had a stream of revenue coming in to pay back the $150 million that would be borrowed, and that was broadband. If you wanted to spend $150 million on roads or schools or public safety, you'd have to find some way to pay back that $150 million you borrowed. So so that was that was the big difference. And it's pretty easy to point out that that if we build the broadband network, we have this separate revenue stream to pay it off. And that revenue stream is coming out of Comcast and CenturyLink's bottom line. It's not coming through new fees on electric bills. It's not coming through new property taxes. It's not coming through uh, new tax increases or general revenues. Right. Colin, I'm curious if you have a reaction also. Yeah, so kind of going back to your earlier question, and like Glenn was saying, we were shocked when we saw the amount of money being spent. And at that time, it was it was terrifying, really. But in hindsight, I actually think it was a gift to us because it allowed us to really publish this to news media outlets. And we had dozens and dozens of people cover it. We had TV interviews, radio interviews. And I think people that may not have voted at all actually ended up voting because they were so sickened by the number <laughs> being spent. So I think, I mean, in short term, it was terrifying. But I think in hindsight, it actually was a gift to us, as strange as that sounds. The $451,000 turned this from a local uh, story to the small town in Colorado to a national news item. And so we made Comcast, Hometown Paper, the Philly Inquirer. We made ARS Technica. We made Motherboard. We've made all the Denver area stations. And if Comcast and CenturyLink and their organizations hadn't spent that money, it would have just been another local vote and another local story. One of the things that is somewhat unique about uh, your situation, I think, is I don't know of another city, um, you know, maybe uh, a Boulder or some or you know something. But in the year 2017, you have Comcast is either about to offer um, gigabit downloads or or could be offering it in some areas already. You have CenturyLink has built some fiber to the home, uh, fiber to apartment buildings, perhaps in Fort Collins. It's a harder case to make that that you're not getting investment from the big companies in a place like Fort Collins than in, you know, in like Loveland uh, nearby or, or other smaller towns. And so in that respect, you guys really knocked it out of the park by demonstrating this strong demand for something better than the, the big cable and telephone companies. And I, I just wonder if you could reflect on that a little bit. One of, the, one of the big things we emphasized was that we wanted our citizens not just to be able to consume content, but we wanted them to be able to create content. And in order to do that, you needed the fast uploads. And the fast uploads just aren't there with either CenturyLink's DSL offering or Comcast Gigabit offering in the city. The other thing that, that really helped us there with respect to Comcast Gigabit offering is that it's $20 a month more here than it is in Longmont. And it also doesn't include unlimited data here, but it does include unlimited data in Longmont. So, you know, the service in, in Longmont, $70 a month, where they have their own municipal fiber network, 
But to get that same service out of data cap in Fort Collins is $140 a month. And so we were really able to push, you know, press the issue with the price discrepancy there between the cities that had uh, their own municipal fiber network and the city that doesn't. And, and I think that helped us too. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think the other thing too was uh, developing messaging and key points for different demographics within the city. So rather than having this one umbrella statement saying this is why we should get gigabit, we really focused on adapting language to each, like the senior citizens, the students, the tech entrepreneurs, um, the small businesses, the average person. So we spent a lot of careful time crafting those messages to make sure that each angle was addressed and not just assuming that one message, you know, that one size fit all kind of thing. Was there any specific like approach or tactic you took that surprised you in terms of how well it worked or how it did not work? I guess when I first, we first started doing the Facebook push, I thought maybe it'd be like 50 people would follow the group and we'd have daily posts that maybe got like 10 or 15 likes and a couple comments. But in reality, we ended up getting like 550 people who liked the page. We had thousands of comments by the end of the campaign. We responded to most. That really blew me away. That The conversation was so in-depth and so critical. And the other part of that too is the opposition group uh, had a Facebook page that was locked down. You couldn't join it. You couldn't comment. Their YouTube page was locked down. You couldn't even talk to them. And so they sent their trolls over to our page and we still had a conversation with them when we couldn't even send our people over to their page. So, and the also thing that, that surprised me is that on Reddit, Fort Collins, and I know Reddit's, you know, historically, you know, quarterbacks and armchair theorists who doesn't, you know, they don't, they're always stigmatized as not, you know, going in public and talking and actually making a movement. And this is by far the most energetic and high response topic we've ever seen in Fort Collins Reddit. And a lot of people came out and a lot of people interacted with it. We even had people organize a public sign waving on one of our busiest intersections, which for people who follow Reddit is mind blowing to me. <laughs> so it was, I think the digital platform was what really surprised me and the, the effectiveness of that. The organic reach of our Facebook post really surprised me too. I mean, the organic reach got up to the tens of thousands. You know, we, we paid to kind of get the initial kick off and get the message out there. But once the message got out there, people started sharing things and our organic uh, rate was was tremendous too. Right. And we're talking about a city, you know, with what, 140,000 people? 165, yeah. Right. So, I mean, eligible voters, people who actually mm -hmm. vote, 10,000 reach is, is a significant part of the electorate for an off-year election. Absolutely. Yep. Well, is there anything else that, that we should mention for people who I think are inspired by this and hopefully learning from it and trying to organize in their own communities? One thing I want to say is um, if you've never been through the election process before as, a, as an active participant and an organizer of a ballot issue campaign or something, um, you do need professional help. Hire a campaign manager and your campaign manager should know uh, graphic artists in the area. She should know... Um, how to place ads with the local newspaper, how to reach DJs to record radio ads for you, how to, how to place ads with radio, um, how to write letters to the editor. You, you definitely need someone who's been through this process before and has the contacts for all these organizations that you're gonna be doing business with so that as uh, volunteers who are trying to also do your day job, you're not, you're not wasting a lot of time trying to figure out how to place an ad with a local paper or how to place an ad or record a spot with, with a, radio, for a radio station. Great. That's terrific advice. Colin? Yeah. So I think it's really having the mindset of playing the long game. I mean, going through municipal broadband, it takes months, if not years, to really make progress. And 
And uh, don't be discouraged by lateral gains or small gains. It's it's a long it's a long game to play, and that patience is something I learned early on. That it's it takes incredible patience. And a couple other things I would recommend is really starting with that core group of people who are highly energetic, who know what they're talking about, who are very passionate about the subject. And then kind of develop that larger steering committee. Uh, but you want to have that core group. is It's really important. And I guess a few other things is, uh, unfortunately, in this in this world, it takes money. So lessons learned from my group, or our group, I should say, is you have to start your fundraising early. Um, you have to identify your stakeholders, whether it's major businesses, universities, um, business groups, etc. And also a big one that I learned was that publishing... Uh, documents and making emails from city council transparent and publishing those for people to know about and really creating that that window of transparency so people can see the inner workings of the project and not just on the surface. It's very, very crucial too. We don't have a magical playbook, but we did learn quite a bit and you know we're always we're happy to uh, discuss it with people in different communities. Great. I, I have no doubt that uh, you'll have some people contacting you. I'm happy to connect people to you um, to make sure that this continues and the enthusiasm that, that you all help to create will continue to spread. We need people to step up and take responsibility, even if they're not elected officials. Um, that's the way our democracy is supposed to work. And it is inspiring when people do that and make a difference. So thank you for doing it. Thank you for sharing your lessons. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having us. I appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. That was Christopher with Colin Garfield and Glenn Akins from Fort Collins, Colorado. Check out our coverage of the campaign and efforts to improve connectivity in Fort Collins at muninetworks.org. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcasts at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other ILSR podcasts, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can access them on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Never miss out on our original research by also subscribing to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle licensed through Creative Commons. And thanks for listening to Episode 282 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. (laughs) 